seems like it's been about a week since we've done this. Gosh, it does. At least a week. You ready, baby? Well, is this thing on? It is. Well, I say let's roll. Rock and roll. Hello, everybody. My name is Scott. I'm Sarah. And this is a thing we do called Counting Worms. It's a podcast, not a movie. No. Yet. If you're watching this, then you should probably cut back on the drinking and drugs. Yeah, put down the pipe. So this is our first episode in our second hundred episode series. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, right? Yeah, sure. We're a little late today because... Uh, because it was my birthday. That's right. It's very exciting. 27. Yeah, and counting. And uh, mainly because they decided they had to do my next round of cancer screenings <laughs> on my birthday. And Yeehaw. Yeah, they booked him a couple days in a row, and that was a good time. It was a very expensive present for Scott to get me. Uh, that was fun, because CT scans are not inexpensive. That's true. So thanks for that very special birthday gift. My pleasure, dear. Yes. So this is not a theme sode. This is a regular sode. It is. It means I don't know what you're going to do, and you don't know what I'm going to do. That's right. But uh, in any event, it'll be fun and and, and frightening uh, and exciting. And frightening and exciting. So uh, before we get started on our stories, oh, is yes, there anything yes. else? Worm news, worm news, party time, excellent. Something a little different this time oh yeah i did um while doing some different research on something else i came across um a couple little interesting things um some of the most um interesting obituaries i'd ever seen obits yeah obits um and they were so horrible i thought you know what I think I should share these with everyone. All right, let's hear them. So that's what I did. Is there's just two of them. There's just two of them, but they kind of they kind of go along with since it you know the whole birthday theme. So I thought, why not? Let's do it. I'm in. So here's the first one. It's short. Okay. The second one is not short. All right. So these are real, real obits. Okay. For real. Kathleen Dimlo shrunk was born on March 19th, 1938, to Joseph and Gertrude Schrunk of Wabasso. Great names. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She married Dennis Demolo at St. Anne's in Wabasso in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. Aww. Aww. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle Demolo, and moved to California. Uh Uh-huh. Sweet. Oh. All right, Kathleen. She abandoned her children, <laughs> Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements, Mr. and Miss Joseph Shrunk. She passed away on May 31st, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Nice. I'm assuming yeah. Gina and Jay wrote this obituary. I, that would be my presumption. Okay. And wow. apparently they had not yet forgiven their mother. I didn't, I never thought of 
obituaries as a way to get back at somebody. But I guess, apparently they can I be. Guess. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So, uh, so for any of you out there who have not yet made peace with those around you, it might be a good day. Yeah. <laughs> but if you think that one was a little rough around the edges, yeah. You ain't seen nothing yet. All right. See, that's what they do uh, in Robasso. But just wait. That's how they roll in Robasso. Yeah, but wait. T- wait. Wait and hear what they we how we in Texas handle people we're upset with. Okay, go ahead. Because what we are capable of in Texas apparently is a whole other level. Okay. So this is the second one for Worm News and my in the final one. Okay. And I hope you are you enjoy this as much as I did. All right. We'll make you rethink the way you're living your life. Leslie Ray Popeye Sharping was born in Galveston, Texas on November twentieth, nineteen forty two, and passed away January thirtieth, twenty seventeen, which was twenty nine years longer than expected. And much longer than he deserved. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Leslie battled with cancer in his latter years and lost his battle, ultimately due to him being the horse's ass he was known for. Oh. (laughs) He leaves behind two two relieved children, a son, Leslie Roy Sharping, and daughter, Sheila Smith, along with six grandchildren and countless other victims, including an ex-wife, relatives, friends, neighbors, doctors, nurses, and random strangers. (laughs) It continues. (laughs) At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example of bad parenting combined (laughs) with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Wow. Leslie enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more as part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on some criminal charges. While enlisted, Leslie was the Navy boxing champion and went on to sufficiently embarrass his family and country by spending the remainder of his service in the Balboa Mental Health Hospital, receiving much-needed mental health care services. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent. However, he lacked ambition and motivation to do anything more than be being reckless, wasteful, squandering the family savings, and fantasizing about get-rich-quick schemes. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family. <laughs> that was a hobby. Expediating trips to heaven for the beloved pets and fishing, which he was less skilled with than the previously mentioned. <sighs> Leslie's life served no other pr- obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm which was amusing during his sober days. Yes. (laughs) With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, or good friend. No services will be held. There will be no prayers for eternal peace and no apologies to the family he tortured. Leslie remains will be cremated and kept in the barn until Ray... 
the family's donkey's wood shavings run out. Leslie's passing proves the evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. (laughs) Wow. Good riddance, Leslie. (laughs) Seriously. Wow. That's a long obituary. That's a they, <laughs> they yeah really they 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 paid one. for a pretty big uh, pretty big place in the in the newspaper. That's a, for that. that's a whole column. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. They wanted to make sure they got every word in there. Sounds like a lovely character. Yeah. So yeah, apparently he will not be missed. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Apparently he will not be right. missed. Well. Wow. Good riddance. So, on that note. Yes. I would definitely recommend anybody that you need to make amends with. Let's go ahead and do that because yeah. we, we you wouldn't want them speaking at your at your funeral. Right, no eulogies like that. They might pretend to be some be your, a good pal of yours and then get up there and tell the truth about you, and that would be horrible. That would be horrible. Nobody wants to hear the truth about you. I'm about to tell a story about a guy that would probably have a pretty bad obit as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so should maybe, I begin? Oh, or? maybe that would be a fun thing to say at the at the end of your stories. Maybe you and I could come up with like a 30-second obit about the guys that you talk wow, about. Wow, that's an interesting Wouldn't that be theory. fun? All right. I'll give it some yeah. thought. Let me uh, turn it over to the writing staff and see yeah, what they have. Yeah, see what they have to say. All right, shall I begin with story number one? Let's do it. Okay, well, for this one, we're going to go down under. Oh. Yes. This is this story is about Australia's most infamous and maybe most prolific serial killer. Wow! Uh, I've never heard of him before. Ivan Milat. Mm-hmm. You've heard of him? Mm-hmm. Oh God, baby, you've heard of everybody. Well, <laughs> I have heard of his moniker that was given to him by the press, called the Backpacker Killer. Right. Or maybe Backpack Killer. Right? Yeah. Um, because backpacker killer, that's too many syllables. <laughs> backpack killer, that's more. Yeah. Snappy. So if they were, so if they were, uh, they were calling him the backpacker killer in Australia. You guys, you got to work on your syllables. Or backpacker murderer. Yeah, that's I mean, way, come on, yeah, guys, yeah. get with the program. So he basically this. There's guy, a syllable count in order to be appropriate. This guy, ta- uh, he targeted backpackers um, to kill. Because mainly because their whereabouts were generally unknown. They were mm-hmm. on the road somewhere and nobody really was following where they were. In they the often great traveled right in the outback. And they often traveled alone and wouldn't be missed for a while. Mm-hmm. So he targeted them. Um, yeah, because if he was just killing backpacks, that would be weird. Yeah. What's backpacks the point? aren't even alive. Right. They're inanimate objects. Right. So this chap is a dude who did violence for the sake of violence. Mm-hmm. He did some pretty sick things. And we're going to talk about a few of those things. Sweet. So serial killers in Australia, um, kind of their own thing, mm-hmm. their own characteristics, common characteristics. 90% of them are opportunistic killers. Mm. So they rarely know their victims. Um, they just happen to be Not in the wrong place, and wrong time. No, no. So they mostly come from underprivileged backgrounds, uh, childhoods. There's a strong chance that they were molested as a child. Hmm. And Ivan Milat fit this mold. He was born in 1944 to a poor, lower-level working-class family in rural Australia. 
He was the fifth of 14 kids. Wow. And author, that's, a, that's an interesting household. That sure. is. Uh, so author Mark Whitaker wrote a book about Ivan Milat and had this to say about his, I have a couple of clips here, uh, this to say about his father, Ivan's father. Okay, mm-hmm. so check this out. Yeah. Ivan's father, Stephen, was, was a very strict disciplinarian and you know he was a product of, of different times. Uh, you know, Neighbours reported seeing um, him once standing on the back of two of his sons, beating them with a piece of 4 by 2 Now, I think the mm. most interesting part of that, that clip is a piece of 4 by 2 Yes, because we say two by four. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they got to do everything different. Yeah. You well, know? they it's are. Like Apple and IBM. You know, they got to yeah. twist it just a little bit. Yeah, well, bit. they are down under, so that it would be upside down there. So instead of two by four, they call it a four B two. Yeah. It sounds cool. It is. Really. It is cool. It is cool. But when you say it with that accent, it's adorable. Right. Four B two. In fact, it doesn't even sound that bad what he's doing whenever it's said in that adorable accent. Right, honey, stand still. I'm going to hit you with I'm, the four B two. I'm going to stand on your back and hit you with the four B two. Four B two, like a barbecue. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if it, we, he we just could have Australia. also said blooming onion at the same time and shrimp on the Barbie. It's, it would have been adorable. It's funny that you mentioned that because I I got well. You'll see. Okay. 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 So his teenage years, uh, he was shaken up pretty dramatically by the death of his sister, Margaret. And it was around that time in his life where he began How'd to change a bit. We don't know. Uh, she was beaten with a phobie too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It didn't mention the, the, the story. But Cholera. He, he started becoming a little bit odd. Um, he was a neat freak, oh. always dressed perfectly, very much a controlling thing. He had a thing about mm. control. He was obsessed with his appearances. His clothes had to look just right. His home, just right. Everything in its place. I've, young Ivan, at this time, worked in a fruit store. A fruit store? Right. Australia, <laughs> I'm telling you. These guys, they got it all. All right. Uh, a fruit store. And according to his boss... So do you have to go to different stores for different things in Australia? Like you got to go to the bread store, then you go to the fruit store... I don't. I haven't been there, so I don't know. How but big is a fruit store? Maybe it's a fruit stand. That's I, we've seen those. Yeah, I don't know. Something going on there in uh, Australia. Yeah, we got to get down there. We do need to check it we out. We got to check it out. So his boss named Peter um, felt that Ivan was a good Can you worker. Say Peter correctly. Peter. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. He was a good worker. Uh, he felt he was a good worker and a great kid. Uh, okay. Good guy. And Ivan actually. Yeah, because he was spotless and he kept everything perfectly clean. He, always and he was always dressed. Neat, neat. And he liked to control the way the fruit was sitting out. Oh, and man. Orderly. That, yeah, that's beautiful. It's perfect for the fruit industry. Yes, yeah. It was perfect. Yeah, it was exactly. a good fit. Yeah, if he had Cokes, he would turn them all facing the same direction. Right. Oh, my God. It's yeah. wonderful. So he, Ivan actually approached Peter to be a guarantor on a car loan so he could Uh-oh. get a car. And because Peter liked this kid so much he and thought he was responsible, he agreed to do it. Oh, but Peter's a nice guy. After getting the car, Ivan stopped showing up for work. <laughs> and he stopped making payments on the car. Thanks, and Peter. Peter ended up having to pay off the note. And <sighs> Peter wasn't very happy about that. But apparently 
uh, Ivan and some of his brothers started harassing Peter and throwing rocks at his house and like, leave us alone and this and that and the well, other. Well, Peter so, paid off the car. What you I mad know. at him for? Well, because <laughs> Ivan wasn't a good guy. He, it, Peter was wrong. Oh. He was wrong. Ivan was not responsible and a oh. good kid. Was he, he was, still dressing nice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he was, but he was dressing up nicely to commit crimes. Oh. See? That's not cool. And that really was kind of signified that the beginning. was the best dressed criminal I've ever seen. Right. And he, he, that was the beginning of his life of crime, really. Gotcha. His first thing. First fraud. But his early criminal career was... Oh, Peter was his first fraud. I know. Isn't that oh, sweet? it's romantic. You never forget your first. No, that's right. Uh, Especially when you're throwing rocks at him. Right. So his early criminal career was mostly petty stuff, car theft, and he and his friend... From Peter. Yeah. All right. He, he and his friend broke into a, a military barracks and stole a safe. Anyway, he, it, but he wasn't a particularly good criminal, and so he Apparently. got caught a yeah. lot. And he spent most of the 60s in prison, yeah. <laughs> actually. Where so, it was very hard to dress snappy. Right. Because they all looked the same. They right. all had the same outfit. And they would not right? give him an iron. <laughs> No, no, he's wrinkles and all kinds of stuff. Too, oh, too must big. have been miserable. So he, after he got out of prison, his crimes began to escalate. Yeah, he learned how to do the good stuff in there. Well, I don't know about the good stuff. This this first one that uh, of any note, he had picked up two female hitchhikers on their way to Melbourne, mm-hmm. and it says his original intent was to kill them. Hmm. That's an escalation. That's quite an escalation from just fraud on the note of a car. Right. Um, but he ended up negotiating a deal with them that he mm. would let them live if one of them would have sex with him. Oh, that sounds like a deal. Yeah. So he was later caught and charged. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he didn't kill him. But eventually he was acquitted because the girls changed their testimony. They they refused to testify against him. Maybe he had gotten to them or mm-hmm. the brothers had or something. You know how that works. Yeah, there's 14 of them. Right. So in well, ni- 13. In 1975, Ivan's now 30 years old, and he gets married. He marries Uh-oh. a young lady by the name of Karen who was 17 oh, and six Karen. weeks pregnant with another man's baby. What? I know. It's an interesting pairing. She needed someone who would take care <sighs> of her and provide for her, and so she married... Ivan and moved in with him. Oh, Karen. But it was a decision that she would come to regret. I bet. So their marriage was an unhappy one. A surprise, surprise. Ivan was very domineering and Weird. the jealous type. Hmm. Was he controlling? Yeah, he was, apparently. How bizarre. Every minute and every dollar that she spent needed to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. She wasn't allowed to go outside the house unless she had a very specific reason and a place to go, et cetera. And when she would buy things, he'd want to see receipts. Mm -hmm. He would say, well, it only takes this much time to get to the store back and you were gone, this, you know, this Mm. kind of thing. So he could only control his violent nature for so long and then he would just explode in these violent episodes. And Karen finally had had enough and left him in 1989. Now, how long was that? Go back here. 75 days. So it was 14 years. Wow. A long time. Yeah. Um, And by that time, she was a nervous wreck. I mean, she was just a mess. Um, And Ivan did get some. He didn't want her to leave. You know how that. He was attached. Yeah. I mean, now what is he going to Who's going to clean his house? And who's he going to beat? Yeah. So he did get some revenge on her eventually. Um, He he burnt down her parents' house. 
Well, there you go. So, eh, call it even. Yeah. Okay. That'll show her. Some who have, uh, have studied the case have theorized that it was when he lost control over his wife and when his wife left that he began searching for that control elsewhere. So it's Karen's fault. Yeah. She pushed his buttons. (laughs) <laughs> he t- he turned to the highway they said here yeah uh, so if, to, uh, if to she f- had just stayed where she belonged then none of this would have happened right exactly <laughs> he, he yeah. turned to the highway no 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 uh no no guilt meant to be there karen yeah 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 it's just that all of the experts are blaming you yeah, uh, seven people are dead because yeah, of you, yeah, Karen. Yeah, because but, because you didn't want to get daily beatings and be told you're not allowed to ever leave the house. Because you wanted to be happy. You wanted you didn't you wanted to be alive and not be covered in bruises, Karen. Yeah, little Miss Selfish didn't want to be beaten to death by your own husband. Prima Donna. God. All right, so. He turned to the highway mm-hmm. to fulfill his fantasies <laughs> of dominance and control. Karen. Karen. I can't believe her. Yeah. Uh, guns were a big part of the Milat family. Oh. He, he might just, say he was obsessed with guns. You know, that, but that's just what we need to add into this story. Right. Because up until now, it's been like, eh. They didn't know. say anything about killing small animals, but I'm going to take a swing at this. Uh, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to bet that... It probably was. May occurring. have fallen on his head a couple of times. Maybe too, so. As a child, probably so. With fourteen brothers, you can bet on it. Pulled the wings off of flies and things like that. No doubt. So Ivan had many shot guns, birds out of trees, and he would even bring some of his guns to work with him. He worked on a road crew, uh-huh. uh huh. And his boss shared some insight into Ivan and his guns uh, when it came to work. I want you to check this out. Okay, <laughs> listen to this one. His boss for many years was Don Borthwick. You joined in a bit of a joke and that, but um, when you was away, you was sort of more of a loner than any, you know. We, the boys would go down the pub, I mean, you got your drinkers and you got your players, you know. Ivan was neither. He'd drink his coke and he'd sit there and read his books and go back to his room, you know. We had blokes on the rock all night playing pool and other blokes chasing women. Um, Ivan, for the years that I was with him and the few times I went away, wasn't in there any day. What? Have his gun books and back to back to bed. Boys would have their girly magazines. <laughs> Ivan would have his gun magazines. The knife was always in his bag of us, but you know, he'd get it out and come happily enough, yeah. And We're gonna need a translator. Okay. Okay, so, so if anyone that who lives in Australia could please <laughs> email, email us. us and tell us what that man just said. At <laughs> because all I all I did was have a stupid look on my face with my eyebrows knitted together and a what the hell is that? So that's what you call an Australian accent. Uh, okay. I, I, that's, that's, now, I'm not, guessing that's not our, what Crocodile Dundee sounds like. I'm guessing <laughs> that our Australian friends understood every word. I think what he was saying generally... I don't, I don't know if they did or not. Is he... He would come into the pub, mate. And... <laughs> and some guys were, were chasing drinking women. Drinking and womanizing. Some were drinking, yeah, chasing women. Some were playing pool. He and was neither one at, of those. Some looked at girly magazines. Right. I heard he that. had gun magazines. Ah, they had girly magazines. He had gun magazines. Mm. Um, yeah, we love our Australian. And that man had no teeth. And (laughs) you guys know that I try and honor you folks with my pretty much dead on 
With your perfect actions. Yeah, it's that guy that didn't have the right accent. Yours was perfect. That guy's pretty serious, though. That's hardcore. Hey, let's let's not forget. There's some accents in the United States that (laughs) we don't understand. That is true. And you can always, you always know when you're going to hear them when a tornado hits. Because they're going to go out and find the one person... Anytime you watch American television and there's been a tornado, you people in other places know that the news media intentionally finds that one person wearing their flip-flops and their Daisy Dukes with no teeth that's half (laughs) drunk wearing a shirt that says, I'm with stupid, and it's pointing, and they're by themselves. Yeah. And then they say, what happened? And then that person starts talking, and everyone's like, what? Yeah. So we have them here, too. Well, and I guess they have them in Australia, and I do have another clip. <laughs> now, what we're going to try and do is listen closely and try and figure out what he says, okay? okay. It's, a, it's a contest. Any, any listener that can email us and tell us exactly <laughs> what this man says will send you a koozie. Right. And so, he's talking about Ivan's knives and guns. So, here, okay. we, here we go. Ready? All right. He had big guns. Big guns in the end. When he worked around the corner at another company, two blokes had to go at him one night, so the next night he walked in for lunch, pulled the gun out and put it on the table, he said, who are we talking about tonight? And they both walked out. Yeah, yeah, he always had that in his, in his bag and a big knife. Like a, like a big knife. Big knife, knife, I got that. Something like that, yeah, he always had a knife in his bag. <laughs> Cutting up apples, mate, he could have cut horses up with it. It was a big knife. Something horses? about cutting horses up. Horses were at work? No, no, so, oh. no, you can cut horses up, or he, he cut horses up with a knife? I don't know. Uh, Countingwormspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Please, yeah. please fill us in. There was no uh, closed captioning. What? Yeah, so oh I, my I, God. I'm a little in the dark. But I guess he brought knives and guns to work. Let's yes, just leave it at Apparently, he, he took them everywhere and was not afraid to whip them out and put them on the counter. That's what it sounded like. Okay, so. Wow. Moving ahead to September of 92, two runners were out in the Belangelo State Forest. Mm-hmm. And guess what they stumbled upon? A uh, cut-up horse? A human head. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, cut, they come across a body, and that body did have a human head. Oh, okay. Uh, and police were called to the scene. And short, you know, that's what joggers come across. I mean, don't go jogging. Yeah. And what are you running from? So now they're what jogging are, and in a forest. What is wrong with people? Oh my God, these what are you running are from? I mean, seriously. Yeah. You know what they're doing? They're looking for bodies. So it's- they find one and police are called to the scene. And shortly thereafter, they discovered another body about 30 meters away, mm-hmm. which is roughly 90, mm-hmm. 95 feet for you in the States. Um, these were bodies of two British backpackers who had been off the radar for a couple of months now mm. and whose parents back in England were very concerned. Uh, one was named Joanne Walter. She was 22. She had been stabbed 14 times. And Caroline Clark, who was 21, had been shot 10 times in the head. And mm. police believed that her head had been used for target practice. Oh. Nice. So it was at a distance. I guess. Yeah. So after these murders, leading Australian forensic psychiatrist and profiler, Dr. Rod Milton, was brought to the scene to create a profile of this murderer. And he created it, and it would prove to be vital in 
in ultimately finding and capturing this guy. It was his theory that based on the injury and the positioning of the bodies and everything that there were two people involved in these killings. Mm. Uh, There were people who are used to living with violence, people who probably have a criminal record, who don't mind what they're doing to others, and in fact get pleasure from it. That was just mm. part of his. He, he theorized that one of the people one of the people involved was a bit older, more dominant, yet more restrained, but also more sadistic and violent of the two. While the other one was more of a follower and more impulsive. I don't really mm. I don't know if I can really follow that, but uh, that's what mm. he said. So uh, these were people who loved guns but hated women, <laughs> who loved that's- power but hated authority. <laughs> I love these profilers. I think any of us could have come up with that. I know, seriously. (laughs) Yeah, he hates women. Okay. All right. You sure about about, that? It seems to me like they like them a lot. Yeah. So, Police Superintendent (laughs) Clive Small. Oh, I like that name. That's a good name. Uh, He did an extensive search of criminal records to try and find anyone who might fit this profile and also who lived in proximity to the Belangelo Forest. And he had these comments about this stage mm-hmm. in the investigation. Rod was very close on a number of points. He, he'd said that the person... Okay, he said Rod was very close on these points. That's Dr. Rod, whatever his name right. was, the forensic guy. Here we go. Rod was very close on a number of points. He, he'd said that the person would probably be a blue-collar worker, would probably be a hard worker, um, would uh, be a loner. We were dealing with a person who knew the forest area very well. We were dealing with a person who probably knew the Liverpool area very well because that's where the victims were being picked up. And that led us to believe that the person lived in the area. We also had good reason to believe that the person was very familiar with uh, firearms and was probably somewhat of a fanatic. We had the Malat family nominated to us as a family we should look at. Nominated? I know, did you hear that? Yeah, so it was a lone... did you say a loner? A loner. Yeah. But he said it in an Australian way. A loner. Yeah. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah. So. Uh, I didn't know you could nominate families. Yes. So I, I guess <laughs> nominate's a great word. I would not have used it. But. Um, can, can I start nominating families? Yeah. So I guess somebody suggested that these guys... No, they nominated them. Okay. It's a voting process. Right, and they all voted on it. And so the Malat family mm. was appa- apparently fit the mold of... The, uh, yeah. The, the, the problem profile. was it was the whole family. The whole family. Yeah, <laughs> look at this whole clan. This whole clan belongs uh, under this scope. Well, at this point, there really was no evidence or witnesses against the Malat family members, so... No, they were just nominated. Just, the, no, they they had, were only nominated for the award. Right. But they hadn't were, accepted but, the award. Yeah. But, well, and the, the committee hadn't voted on the <laughs> finalists yet. Right. So they weren't able to get a warrant at this point. No. For the, any of the Blatt's homes. Yeah. They all kind of live in yeah. close proximity. Because they were only nominated. They looked at all the members of the Malat family, and only Ivan Malat was one who had an opportunity at, during the times of these events and also uh, didn't have an alibi. Everybody else kind of checked out. So they started really focusing on Ivan. Just over one year later, not a runner this time, but a guy just out searching for firewood, hmm. guess what he discovers? Tell me. 
A human head. Oh, my God. No, it was bones. He discovered bones. And I'm sure there was yeah. a human head involved. Uh, in a remote section of the Belangelo Forest. Mm. Okay? It's a big, big place. Uh, the bones belonged to a couple from Frankston, which is in Australia near, near uh, Melbourne. Deborah Everest, 19, and James Gibson, 19. Mm. <sighs> Poor young Gibson. James Gibson had eight stab wounds, uh, one of which had severed his upper spine and another that had punctured his heart and lungs. And Miss Everest had been fa uh, savagely beaten. Her skull was fractured in two places and her jaw had been broken. Mm. So not nice. No. Whoever did this, we don't know who yet, but not nice. Not nice. Uh, so that prompted one of the biggest searches in Australian history. There was like 300 cops that were involved, and they searched 78 square kilometers or something like that. Wow. And during that search, they actually came up with three more bodies. And I'm going to do my best on these names. They're all German, German citizens, German gotcha. uh, nationals. Simone Schmeidel, mm -hmm. Gabor Nugebauer, mm -hmm. and Anja Habschied. Nice. They're all from Germany and had been missing for almost two years. Wow. These, ha these bodies showed evidence of being bludgeoned, strangled, shot and stabbed, sexually assaulted. Now, I don't know how, mm. the, how you get that off of bones. Were they all just bones? Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to take that back, even though they said it in the article. Uh, one was decapitated. Uh, so it was just a human head. Yeah. It seemed as though uh, the, more, the more that Milat killed, the more he got vicious and brutal in his... He was escalating. Again. Except those were two years old and a decapitation, and the latest ones weren't decapitated. That's true, but he One did of do target practice on her head. Yeah, but she was just shot in that, at a, from a distance. You know, I, That's I, not have, escalation. To say, I have to say that this, this article uh, lied to me. Yeah. <laughs> but see, that's confusing because I have been led to believe that if it's on the internet, it's true. And you can't put it on the <laughs> internet if it's not true. Uh, are, is that not right? <sighs> you know... God, that I think would be disappointing. Well, I think that maybe they just, they're either leaving information out or it's an opinion. So if this story is to be believed, <laughs> the police appeal to the public for help. Yeah. And some 5,000 plus tips came in. Oh, God. Look, good for them. One of them <laughs> came from a chap named Paul Onion. Uh, you got to love Paul the name. Blumen. <laughs> no, but that's his real name. Not the Blumen part. I threw that in. Yeah, that, that was just for fun. It's really named Paul Onions. Uh, yeah. Have you ever known anybody with the last name of Onions? I have not, but I sure would like to. Yeah, well, he, he's, a, uh, he's a Brit who was traveling. Uh, adventurous guy. Yeah. Yeah. Adventurous guy, he wanted to always uh, tour around Australia. Hitch hitchhiking was the thing back then. Uh, I can't believe hitchhiking was ever the thing. It was. And so he had been hitchhiking from... There's, uh, there's some areas down there in Sydney where they have host youth hostels and stuff. Mm -hmm. Because backpacking through Australia, I don't know if it's still big, but I mean, it was the thing. And mostly young kids and stuff, they would all hang out at these hostels and then they'd pair up and hitchhike their yeah. way through the country. 
They didn't have any money. They just wanted to be adventurous, you know? Yeah. So he had been hitchhiking from the Liverpool station toward Mildura. Oh, that was a terrible accident. And had accepted a ride from a man that he knew only as Bill. Bill. He was at a convenience store getting ready to make his trip down the Hume Highway. Hume Highway. Uh, and about one kilometer south of the Belangelo State Forest, Bill stopped the car to get some music out from under his seat or something like that. That's what he said, at least. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, he pulls out a gun. Nice. And then he pulls out some rope. And he told uh, Mr. Uh, onions. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> onions. Is that great? That's a great name. <sighs> I love onions. He told Mr. Onions he was going to be peeling some onions. <laughs> no. Um uh, that this was a robbery. He told him it was gonna, he was robbing him. And Onions, I can't even say it. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Paul made his way out of the car quickly and started running. Now, he had been in the uh, British Navy. And a tactic, well the tactic he had been taught when evading somebody who was shooting at you is to kind of zigzag yeah. back and forth. <laughs> and he did. And he did not get hit. Uh, and the guy was shooting at him. Um he said, my name's Paul, and that's between y'all. And he hit the ground running. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so he finally flagged down a passing car. And and they, got in the car with them? Yeah. And then they pulled a gun on him. <laughs> no. See, not everybody in Australia is going to pull a gun on you, honey. That's terrible for no, you No, they all have that. buck knives. Oh, that's true. Uh, so... She drove him to the local police station where he described the assailant in the car and everything. Um, and police never pursued it. Police? Yeah, <laughs> he was, well. They, he was British. They pursued it, but it, it didn't go anywhere. Uh-huh. I guess. Sure they did. So now he's calling. <laughs> sure now he's calling did. after the public appeal, after they found, you know, yeah. all these bodies. And mm. he says, hey, my name's Paul Bloomin' Onions. <laughs> And, uh, and let me I tell you a little you, story. I warned you about this guy before anyone was dead. There's a guy named Bill you might yeah. want to look into. And so they pulled the original report out and they felt that, hmm, Bill. Well, I don't know about Bill, but this sure sounds like Ivan Malat. Yeah. Um, and, and it would be just like him to lie about his name. Yeah. I mean, when you're killing people, what's it matter? One little white lie. You probably want to throw people off the track, so you probably do that. Yeah. I don't know, because I've never been a murderer, but I suspect that's what you would do. So on May 5th of 94, Paul Bloomin' Onions (laughs) flew to Australia and positively identified Ivan Milat as the man who had picked him up and attempted Mm. to assault him. So that gave police cause to arrest Milat. Mm. At his home on robbery and weapons charges related to the whole stink with onions. Ah. <laughs> you see what I did there? Yeah. Okay. So the search of his home revealed all all kinds of weapons, knives and guns. Uh, and many of them could be linked back to the murders as well as backpacks and tents uh, <laughs> and cooking sets and cameras that had belonged to several of the oh victims. Oh, my God. And they Dumbass. searched the homes of the other Malat folks, and they found more weapons, about 500 pounds of ammo, and rope and zip ties similar to the ones found at the various crime scenes. So it was pretty solid 
Dr. Uh, Rod said that he committed these crimes because he liked it. And he liked having control over his victims. Mm -hmm. And that he lacked a sense of empathy. Hmm. As do most serial killers, right? Right. Um, At the trial, the families of all the victims were in attendance. He pleaded not guilty to all charges, of course. And contrary to Dr. Rod's profile, police never did find anything, any evidence that suggested a second killer. So um, Ivan Milat decided to testify on his own account. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, and so his cross-examination was long and, and brutal. And toward the end of his full day of questioning, he was asked to explain the existence of some medical gloves that they had found at his home. And Malat blurted out, I never wore no... And he, and he stopped. And the prosecutor said, You mean that you never wore gloves while out in the forest? And then he turned to the judge in a dramatic way and said, This feels like a good time to adjourn for the day, Your Honor. <laughs> and the, Your Honor Just like said, a law and order m- moment. Said, dun dun! Said... <laughs> said Right, we're adjourned, or something like that. Yeah. And it was adjourned. And the, the courtroom, you could cut the silence with a knife. Yeah. Is that Wait. the, is that is the that, phrase? Right, what? <laughs> you could cut the air with a knife. Uh, what is it? Tension. Somebody write in at countingroomspodcast at gmail.com and tell me what that phrase is. So he was found guilty on all charges, mm-hmm. was sentenced to seven life sentences, and police believe that there are several other murders uh, out there that Ivan committed, but there just wasn't enough evidence to charge him with them. Hmm. And so uh, he just died recently, a couple of years ago, and never did admit to any involvement. Uh, there's still some folks out there that believe he was innocent and he was railroaded. I mean, I don't know see uh, how that's possible, but... He just had their stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he just had the. He murder. found it on the side of the road. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the other, the murderer had thrown it out of the right. car while they were driving down the road, and so he was just collecting backpacks. Yeah. So anyway, that's Ivan Milat, mm-hmm. Australia's most prolific serial killer. Which says a lot <laughs> about Australia, since it's only seven. Yeah, God, they they really got to catch up. We really yeah. got it going on here <laughs> yeah. in the U.S. <laughs> Yeah, or the, that or the, stupid 21-year-old kid this week already just killed 10 people. Yeah, right? Was it in a grocery store or something? Or? Yeah, in Colorado. Yeah, but that's a spree killer. It's different. Oh, they yeah. may have better spree killers. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I'll have to look into it. Yeah. Get our research department on that. All right, sweetheart. Well, that's yeah. my story for the day. What is yeah. your story? Yeah. I wonder if you can uh, do your... Clap your hands, everybody. And everybody just clap your hands. Next story. Nice. Nice, baby. Go for it. All right. So it was a typical September evening in the teeny tiny Swedish village known as Loftehammer. Loftehammer, right. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what they sound like in Sweden. I know. In 2010, its population was a whopping 404 inhabitants. Wow. And frankly, I doubt it has changed much since then. 404 in Loftenhammer? <laughs> That's terrible. And we have listeners in Sweden. I'm so sorry. I need to yeah, work he on needs that. to work on that one. Right. 
So as you might imagine, it's not known as much of a party town, but it's so close to a little inlet of the Baltic Sea that the wildlife and nature is unmistakably breathtaking. Off the chain. Yeah. In other words, the view makes it all worthwhile. Nice. Not to mention, it's nice living somewhere safe where everyone knows your name, you know. Right. And that September night was like most. It was a really cool 50 degrees with a pretty chilly breeze coming off the, the I water. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. The air temperature might have been 50 degrees, but that's not what it felt like. No. <laughs> but it was dark. It got dark really early uh-huh. there. So Agneta, known as Agnes, to her very many friends in town, and her husband Ingmar had lived in the small village for ages, as long as they can remember now. Agnes, now 68 years old, loved their routine, and she loved their quaint cottage that was nestled beside a beautiful forest lake. A nestled. I love that mm-hmm. word. That is a good word. Sounds pretty. Yeah, it was pretty. Okay. And every evening after they finished supper, she would take their spunky little dog on a walk through the woods to try to tire him out. Okay. <laughs> Ingmar had a chance to watch the news that she cared absolutely nothing about. Okay. And it helped keep her active, and most importantly, it ran off some of the dog's energy so he wouldn't be a bother to them all night long. All right. You know, harassing them, wanting attention. Agnes always treasured these moments of solitude in her walks through nature. You know, she would see and hear the birds and watch the trees cycle through spring and summer and fall. And Ingmar would putter around, get lost in his show, lose track of time. But he always teased Agnes that you could set the clock by her. She was always on time and always did everything just like clockwork he never could seem to be on time or do things in the same orderly manner Uh, well at least not since he retired even her nightly walk to unwind seemed like a precise movement not to her of course but she did always get back at home at the exact ending of his favorite news program okay then they would have a few berries and cream Watch a little TV before getting ready for bed themselves. Always the same. She loved She loved routine. (laughs) She loved routine. Tonight, his show ended, and she wasn't quite back yet, so he thought he had time to run to the restroom. (laughs) Then he does. Okay. And then he starts kind of piddling around the house. And then another program came on, and like he does, he gets involved in that. And he gets a little crazy about the news. It gets him all worked up, you know, (laughs) like men of his age sometimes do. But at the weather report, it dawned on him just how late Agnes really was. Mm -hmm. So he got up, and then with relief flooding through him, he heard the sound at the door. So he hollered to her that he was starting to worry but that it must have finally happened. Her clock broke. And he chuckled at his own little joke as he approached the door, thinking he was so funny. Oh, no. 
and half wondering why she hadn't just gone ahead and opened the door and walked in. When he got to the door, he knew there was a problem. It was their dog. Oh. The dog was a little frantic and shaking. Was he cold? Ingmar stuck his head out the door and gave a little shout for Agnes with no answer. Boy. And this had never, ever happened in all their decades of marriage. So he was a little scared. So he let the dog in the house. He bundled up because it was now starting to actually get a little chilly. And he headed out to look for her. He looked for what seemed like hours. He realizes it probably wasn't. But his adrenaline was going crazy. He could hear the thumping of his heart in his ears as he yelled for her. And not once did he get an answer. Mm. He could feel the panic starting to sink in. And he begged himself not to let it get a hold of him. He had to stay calm. She had to be out here. And she probably fell. And, needed, and he needed to find her and get her home and out of the cold. Because as soon as he found her, she'd be fine. He only had to keep his head about him, stay calm and cool, and there wasn't anything for him to be concerned about. He just kept reminding himself of that. What could be wrong here? Right. And Lily Hoffman is wrong. What? <laughs> Loft a hammer. Loft a hammer, right. <laughs> Finally, I found her. It was awful. Oh, no. Horrible. Agnes was not okay. She was covered in blood. Oh. Her hair was all matted down to her face. I barely recognized her. I whispered her name. Then I yelled at her, and she didn't move. I reached down and touched her, and she was ice cold. I didn't know what to do. I lifted her up and shook her. That's how the blood got on my clothes, officer. She was already gone. I couldn't believe it. So I set her back down and got home as fast as I could to call the police. That's how the high-velocity blood spatter got on his shirt? <laughs> and that's all that happened, sir. That's everything that happened. Uh-huh. And scene. Wow, that was good, baby. That's the story Igmar gave detectives after, they led them, after he led them to the battered body of his wife. Sweet little Agnes had been beaten to death and left to bleed out in the woods. Oh, Lord. The detectives looked at him a little dumbstruck. Crime just does not happen in Sweden. Not violent crime. It's unheard of. So what Ingmar wants them to believe is that in this town of less than 400 people, some insane, crazed killer was waiting in the woods for someone anyone to come along so they could just murder them yeah what are the odds of that or is he suggesting that there is someone in this town of 400 with the motive to kill the beloved 68 year old woman who lives in this little cottage on the edge of the woods hold on they need to get their hip waiters on because it's getting deep in here oh boy So while interviewing Igmar, they explained to him that 
they're going to want to eliminate him as a suspect. Sure. He says, well, okay, how do we do that? So they ask him for his alibi. He says, home, alone, watching the news. Hmm. Okay. Well, were you on the phone or internet? Any way we can verify that? Well, no. Hmm. Well, anyone with a grudge against Agnes? You mean besides me? Well, no. Were there any problems in the marriage? Well, this is where Igmar gets a little irritable. He starts evading the questions and saying things like, I didn't do this. And no matter how many answer the question, sir, they give him, he doesn't. He shuts down. That's a red flag. They ask him over and over. Now tell us again, how did her blood get on your hands and clothing? Tell us exactly. He just shuts down. And with the preliminary autopsy showing countless blunt force trauma injuries, overkill for sure, they skip the rest of these little formalities and arrest Ingmar. Right on the spot. And charged him with the murder of his wife. Sweet. They begin interviewing the entire village, every single person, man, woman, or child. Gave them all DNA tests. And could not find a single enemy Agnes had. Not one. Universally loved. Universally loved. He was not just the prime suspect, but the only reasonable, reasonable suspect anyone could come up with. Everyone was asked, were there any strangers in town? And everyone laughed. No. No one. We don't get strangers. I mean, come on. There was nobody else around for miles but him. Here's the problem, though. What? Ten days go by. As he sits in jail, proclaiming his innocence, and they still don't have a single piece of good evidence against him. I mean, other than it's always the husband. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, they knew it. We know it. And that whole little village knew it. Sure. It's always the husband. With no evidence, and I mean none, no murder weapon, no real trace evidence, and the man refuses to confess. So they had nothing at all. Ten days go by. And they were forced to do the unthinkable in a small town where everyone knows your name and your business. They had to release him. Uh, The town was incensed. But though Ingmar may have been out of jail physically, he was not out of the clank psychologically. He remained the one and only person of interest And over the course of the next six months, this village, his former friends, colleagues, church friends, 
they all let him know they believed he was a killer. He was an outcast, not wanted or served anywhere, and nobody would associate with a man that they knew killed his wife. The tribe had spoken. There was no such thing as innocent until proven guilty. It was always the husband. The Swedes knew it. And he had to move from that little town and the home he shared with Agnes. Run, they all thought. We don't want a killer living here anyway. Oh, no, Ingmar. And after six months of hard, relentless pursuit, the police suddenly stopped. Just like that. They stopped pursuing him. Why? It went from harassment daily harassment to, well, I suppose, neglect. Ingmar wondered where his stalkers and harassers had suddenly gone to. Eventually, he was informed, quietly, the charges against him had been dropped. But why? And he refused to let it go. Why? Why? What the police failed to disclose to him was his charges were not just dropped. He was actually cleared of any wrongdoing. Authorities now knew Ingmar did not kill his wife. But if he didn't, who did? Is it a bear? (laughs) There was no slashing. Oh, okay. Well, we find ourselves back to the autopsy table of another doctor who went above and beyond. When poor Agnes made her way to the table, her injuries were extensive and they were nasty. Blunt force trauma to the head, neck, back, ribs, a broken femur. Her injuries also included crushing injuries as well. So the attacker did not just stop after she hit the ground. They continued to beat her while her body laid crumpled on the ground. They were absolutely horrific, and the attacker was relentless. The doctor noticed quite a bit of brown fur on Agnes as well. It's a bear! The police immediately dismissed the fur as the exact same color and as belonging to the dog that she was walking that they saw inside the home when they went to talk to Igmar. So they promptly brought a photo of the dog to the doctor. However, after studying the wounds, the doctor had an uneasy feeling and he, they, they just weren't so sure. Afraid of an innocent man being prosecuted and just wanting to be sure the truth had been secured, the doctor did a microscopic examination and genetic testing on the fur and on what he believed was potentially saliva found on Agnes's body. Now, there were no bite wounds and there were no scratch marks. It was only blunt force trauma. A dog it, can't wield a hammer. No. We know that. Right. Or thumbs. a baseball bat. They don't have thumbs. 
not sure what it might be. The doc had an idea, even though it seemed impossible. As you might expect and already have guessed, it took months for the test results to come back. Six, to be precise. But when they did, oh boy. it was explosive. They had the real culprit and the real killer. The fur belonged to a moose. Oh, not a bear. Or what those outside the U.S. call a European elk. Police spokesman Yulf Carlson says, Yulf. The improbable has become probable, end quote. And let me tell you, these animals are gigantic. They are. A bull, meaning a male, can weigh 1,580 pounds, or 720 kilograms. And a cow, or female, can weigh 800 pounds, or 360 kilograms. They can also stand as tall as 6 feet, or 1.8 meters, at the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like I said, gigantic. No wonder an animal of that size could do that damage on our dear little Agnes. They are powerful creatures. However, I can see and hear skepticism from here on so many of you listening, especially if you live somewhere cold where the moose play. You're thinking to yourselves, aren't moose generally extremely shy creatures? Why, yes, they are. But you see, this one left behind saliva. So we know a little more about it. We happen to know that this one was drunk. Sure. It seems that Agnes and her dog must have come upon the moose as it was eating fermented apples. It was September. And yes... I'm dead serious. It must have been enjoying the alcoholic treat for some time before the two happened upon it because it had clearly lost its normal inhibitions. You see, alcohol has the same effect on moose as it does on most people. First, you feel kind of good, a little loose. Then you don't. You're easily aggravated. You have a little bit of a headache. And you feel bulletproof. That's true. Not good when you're seven feet tall and weigh (laughs) 800 to 1,000 pounds. It makes you what we like to call dangerous. That's true. What likely happened is the dog approached the moose. I mean, it smelled interesting, and so the dog wanted a closer, better sniff. Maybe the dog even gave a few barks of excitement. Instead of normal behavior of retreat, this moose got pissed. (laughs) The dog being too spry to catch, the moose went for the easy target, 68-year-old Agnes. Oh, my Lord. A story that also happens quite frequently with cattle and alligators. A dog upsets the herd or the gator, and the person gets attacked because we're a whole lot slower than the dog that upset the animal. The dog who meant well maybe thought it was protecting their owner 
when in reality it was provoking the creature. The answer is clear. Get rid of all dogs. <laughs> no. They're troublemakers. Ingmar told the media about his wife's funeral where he was ostracized because oh, all 300 geez. people in attendance were certain he killed his wife. He said their children were the most traumatized. They had to just have faith that their dad was innocent despite everyone telling them otherwise. Oh, my God. What a beating. It was not as horrible as a, of a mistake, though, as you might think that authorities assumed it was a homicide. Moose attacks are insanely rare. And they did their due diligence in eliminating every other possible suspect. So it was Ingmar or a drunk moose who killed her. And I think without DNA, we would have all bet on the husband. So here's some fun facts. Moose are not more dangerous than bears in regard to their behavior. However, in Alaska, for instance, moose outnumber bears three to one and end up wounding a human five to ten times a year. And that is more than grizzly and black bears combined. Really? Huh. Mm -hmm. However, moose confrontations are almost never, ever, ever deadly. Not even one time a year. You may end up getting wounded, but they don't kill. Moose attacks do spike in September and October because of mating season. And again, for a very short time in the spring when mamas are protecting their new calves. Moose especially dislike dogs because they run at them and bark at them. And it's one of the few things that animal behavioralists say will and can provoke a moose. So you can definitely see how it was an odd set of circumstances that lined up for Agnes. However, in comparison, in 2017, humans killed 62 other humans by homicide in the state of Alaska. That is a rate of 10.6 murders per 100,000 people compared to the moose who only injures 5 to 10 people a year and doesn't even kill one person a year. So drunk moose or husband with a baseball bat. Odds are still on the husband each and every <laughs> time. Just not in the case of Agnes. Wow. You know what else pisses moose off? What? I think is if you follow them with a camera trying to take a picture. Yeah, we kind of learned that. They, don't, <laughs> they, they were getting aggravated. Yeah, we went to visit my uh, sister and brother-in-law and my, my precious niece in Maine. And we saw one and we were trying to follow it and take pictures of it. And it was giving us some pretty nasty looks. And I don't think it had eaten any fermented apples no. either. Mm -hmm. It was just pissed. It just didn't want its picture taken. Yeah. It was shy. Yeah. Wow. Fucking moose. Yeah. I tell you what. Isn't that the craziest story? That is a crazy but, one. But when you have what appears to be a homicide in Sweden, it makes big damn news. There was nowhere he could go. Everyone knew he was a murderer. And then all of a sudden, after it, six months, the DNA comes back on that saliva and on that fur, and it's, oh, shit, this guy is innocent. Sweet, but let that be a lesson to you. You really don't kill people. 
Yeah, you <laughs> really don't. Swedes it's really the fucking moose. Yeah, hey, people there really are not. They're just not killers. When in doubt, look look at the moose. Yeah, give but I mean, a, I mean, once over. But again, I uh, you know you look at her injuries and you look at what happened and it it's, it looks like someone took a baseball bat to her. Oh. I mean, that's it. It is. It, someone took a baseball bat to her and. When you're in, you know, they, they systematically eliminated each and every other possibility. And so it had to be the husband. And then, you know, I mean, because she was clearly a victim of homicide. I mean, somebody beat this woman to death and somebody did. It's a fucking moose. It was was a moose, (laughs) you know, and, uh, I never trusted them. Yeah. You know, they, they, they act a little shifty. They do. Yeah, they do actually. And they're big. They're big. They're very big. They're bigger than a horse. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're a strange animal, man. They are. They're pretty. They're cute. Uh, Yeah. But you know what? I started reading about them a little bit for this story and, uh, they're not very nice animals. Really? Yeah. Like, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're solitary. Like the, even the mama moose as soon as she she has her calf she takes care of it for one year as soon as she's ready to have at one year old as soon as she and that's the only time they that's the only relationship a moose ever has is mama and calf and the moment that calf is one year old and she's ready to have another baby she aggressively chases it off so that it it will go away and be on its own because she's pissed because she's ready to have another baby Jeez. And she's like, get, get get the hell out of here, you little brat. I've I've taken care of you enough. Like, she aggressively breaks their bond. Like, is nasty to them to get them to go away. Well, and I thought some parents could take a, take that lesson to heart. <laughs> all right, baby. Yeah. Well, tell me where you got all that fun information about moose. Or is yeah. it moose? No, <laughs> moose. There is no plural. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is another yeah. thing I learned. Officially, there's no plural for the word moose. There you go. Carnes Funeral Home, NBC News, The Claremont Sun, HowStuffWorks.com, WorldPopulationReview.com, and LifeScience.com. Yeah, mine was a little shorter than that. Uh, 60 Minutes Australia, mm-hmm. show called Real Crime, and our good friends at Wikipedia. You want a fun fact about your killer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ivan? His, about Ivan? His, he, from the time he was pretty young, he went by the nickname Tex and was obsessed with old westerns. Really? And that's part of the re- that's part of the reason why he had such an obsession with guns huh that is and, a fun and, fact and and his snappy dressing was like old cowboy stuff like from like the old time westerns I wonder why that wasn't mentioned in any I know it was I was it was odd to me that they didn't bring it up he wore cowboy boots and and like wranglers and stuff, like like the old school like the stuff that none of us wear. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. yeah so There's kind of a weird, kind of a weird fact about the guy. It's like, uh, and, and all of us here are like, hey, we want nothing to do with this. <laughs> and we don't actually dress like that. <laughs> a couple of cities I wanted to mention. Of course, our yeah. friends in Huff and Ipswich, of course. And uh, the folks in Hamtramck. Nice. Michigan. Now we've seen we've seen them on the boards before, but uh, they're coming back in numbers. And I still somebody's got to let me know if I'm pronouncing that right because that is the strangest name. That is Ham a strange Tramp. 
Yeah, that's a weird. It's very one. strange. But they also, probably don't know you're mentioning them because you're we're pro- you're probably, probably pronouncing it so badly. <laughs> and also Baltimore, uh, Cedar Rapids, and Mineola, New York. I want to say hello to you guys and thank you for listening. And is there anything else you wanted to say, baby, before we say goodbye? Nope. Live your life right, or somebody's going to write your obit and make you sound like an asshole. That's right. Don't, and watch out for moose. Yeah. So until next time. Live big. Rest in peace. The, the worms, worms are, are waiting. waiting. Adios. <laughs>